This is an ABC podcast. Matters of State. New South Wales votes. Your guide to the state election with Sarah McDonald and Ashley Raper. Welcome to the Last Matters of State podcast, but a little bit of a warning here. We are recording this on a Tuesday morning, so the election votes are still being counted, especially all those postal votes and the early votes, and there are a great deal of them. Labor has been sworn in as government, but we don't have the final results for every seat. And we don't know at this stage of recording whether it'll be a minority or a majority Labor government. For the latest results, you can check out the ABC News website and listen to us on ABC Radio. My co-host is Ash Raper, and this week we're joined by election analyst Anthony Green. Good morning. Hello. Now, we're going to go into the details of what exactly is happening because it's a moving feast in just a moment, Anthony. But what was your major takeout uh, of the election, Ash Raper? Look, Labor did have a remarkable victory, and I think that they were really successful in cutting through on the two big issues that that they stuck to their guns. You know, we had a lot of commentary that this was perhaps a boring campaign, a lacklustre campaign, but Labor went in with a strategy. They were disciplined. They didn't listen to the noise or commentary around. And I think they successfully prosecuted the case on two issues. The first was the theme of anti-privatisation. Now, there has been some Commentary that perhaps there was, it was a bit of a scare campaign and in the end Dominic Perrottet ruled out that there would be no further selling off of state assets in the next term of government. But that theme of anti-privatisation, the concern that perhaps Sydney Water could be next on the list to sol- sell off really resonated with people. But I think it also came down to the wage issue in a cost of living crisis and that was very successful. It wasn't uh, it wasn't something that was thought up during the campaign. Labor had always maintained that if they came into government, they would scrap that public sector wage cap that the coalition brought in, that they would renegotiate deals. And it was saying to teachers and nurses, not only you could get a better deal under us, but also we will value you. We will go in to a negotiation and, and there would not be a limit on it, that we're happy to listen to you and then we'll work out what we can do. And as a result, I think voters recognise that when looking at schools and hospitals, that that could feed into better services and attracting uh, more people and a good calibre of people as well to these jobs. We'll talk more about those issues and I think uh, just sort of delve in a little bit deeper in uh, just a mo- few moments' time. But now, Nick Green, let's look at the count because it was looking like it was going to be a majority Labor government on Saturday night. Now it's looking like it won't. Well, they can possibly still get there, but it's not looking nearly as encouraging as it was on Saturday night or even at the start of counting yesterday um, that Labor has just slipped behind in a whole bunch of seats with the counting of the further early votes and the addition of some, well, mainly the early votes, which were counted yesterday, and they just haven't broken in favour of Labor as expected. So they were ahead in Terrigal, they're now behind, they were ahead in Holdsworthy, they're now behind uh, Oatley, they were ahead. It's now clear that the Liberals have won that. And um, when some updates come in today, it'll put um, Gareth Evans or go back into the front in Kayama. Gareth which Ward. Was Gareth, Gareth Ward. Ward. Yeah. Yes. Gareth Evans long gone. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. It's, look, it's been a long couple of weeks. It has. It has. And you know, I've spent a lot of time tired. together as well over the past few days. Yes, we're all a little bit teddy tired. I get that. So that could be interesting. So if Gareth Ward, the former Liberal, wins, and, and, and is there any that Labor are ahead so majority is looking harder, but we may not know for some I time. Think Ride, I think Ride is the one that they're still ahead in. They're now behind in Terrigal and um, Hallsworthy. So uh, it's, it's, you know, they, they can still get there. I mean, absence tend to favour 
Labor, but there's a lot more postals to come and they don't favour Labor. And also in New South Wales, um, early votes which are cast outside of your district are absent votes. They come in as absent votes. So it's not just people on the day that are voting outside their district. And if there's been a general increase in pre-poll voting, it's possible that the absent votes won't favour Labor as much as in the past. But we'll just wait for all the votes to be counted. And so what are we looking at in terms of a timeline? Days? or You know, are they going to do pre-poll first or how does it all go with They'll the postal? How does it work? Finish that? the pre-polls, all the pre-polls. And say there's some electorates that haven't done the postals, but they're not the, it's all the safe electorates that haven't been done. The postals that were going to be counted on Saturday night are now being counted in all close districts. So that's, that's, that's done. There's a couple of seats that still have extra early voting centers and the counts can slow a bit sometimes in close seats just simply because there's uh, more scrutineering done. But you're saying it could be weeks. Uh, well, the postal votes don't close for receipt until the end of next week. So we should know today and tomorrow, roughly. We'd like to see some absent votes counted, and I think they start today. I'd have to check the timetable, and that, that'll give us a better handle on a few things. Um, there's new enrolment votes to come. They'll favour Labor. But essentially, Labor's got locked in 45 seats. They've got an agreement with three members of the crossbench. Labor can comfortably form government. They'd like to win another seat or two. They'd like to have 47 seats. But uh, it just doesn't look quite as good for them as it did you know, two days ago. Okay, a couple of questions. Uh, Balmain electorate, what's going to happen there? Greens have won. Greens have won, You're calling that one. Uh, and we have got an expanded crossbench, haven't we? Yes, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that Judy Hannon has won Wallandilly down in the south south uh, west of, uh, edge of Sydney. And, and she's yeah. she's the first, she's the only Climate 200 backed sort of mm. teal type independent that, that has appeared yeah. to have won. Yeah, Gareth Ward if he's re-elected and there's one other, um, the fella, uh, Regan. Michael Regan in Wakehurst, yeah. and it looks like the Liberals. The Liberals pulled ahead with the counting of the early votes in Pittwater, and as they will now move further ahead because the Independent will not do well with absence and postals. What do you think happened with the Teals? Because the Teal Independent, as you said, Judy Hannon, probably the only one going to get in. It is harder with optional preferential system uh, for them to get elected. Mm. Under full preferential voting, the Independents would have won Pittwater and Willoughby. Right. There you go. Yes. <laughs> but often uh, Rob Stokes was saying that he also thinks it's because they had a good um, reduction in, in fossil fuel policy uh, in the state, but I think land clearing may have balanced that out. So any takeouts from you on that? Because it is an expanded crossbench, so it, you can't really say that ALP or did brilliantly on the primary votes, can you? No, but if you look at the teals and that and that teal wave, I think it worked really well and was a very specific set of circumstances uh, for the federal election and that anti-Morrison feel, uh, also the climate change and the fact that there also isn't a federal ICAC. Now, they weren't the same issues in, in New South Wales. And when these independents got into the race at the start, it was very much, they were talking about the three same things that they that they were talking about federally because they resonated. And it was integrity, it was women, and it was climate. Now, I'm not saying that the Liberals do have a problematic record in, in New South Wales on a few of those things. You look at pre-selection for women. Uh, they, they did hand down a, a budget in June that was very female-focused, but they just discovered that they had to connect with, with women voters. And you they know, didn't have uh, many women, uh, did yeah, they? Yeah, after 12 years. And they didn't have very many people, uh, very many women and no women in, in leadership positions. In terms of climate change policy, though, that was widely seen 
that the Liberals had put forward a, a good policy in terms of their renewable energy zones. And then integrity, yes, there were integrity issues around the Jobs for the Boys scandal with, with John Barilaro. We saw with the rorting of grants and the pork barrelling issue, but didn't have the same heat because we have an ICAC in, in New South Wales and, and a strong uh, corruption watchdog. So then it went down to, to those so local issues and it's just as well getting out and meeting people. There's a lot of talk about with these campaigns as well on the ground, you've got to go out and meet people. And they also didn't have as much money to, to push out for ads on, on social media and those sort of things as well. People keep talking about Teals. There are more independents in this parliament in the past one. There's a stronger record of independents being elected in New South Wales under optional preferential voting than any other state. And there's a long history, especially in the country areas. There are four five now rural independents and there's a long history of that and that tells you something because country electorates rely much more on knowing the candidate and they can get elected but in the city it's much harder to get your name out there and the ones that did run were all running in seats that independents have won in the past so i i think it's misnaming to keep calling them teals there are five that were backed by the climate only some yes. of them were teals which i've yeah, been yeah. clear about that all yeah. along yes. that there were yeah. only five <clears throat> yeah um and i think it is interesting that that the shooters mps turned independents that they all held their seats. It was always going to happen in Orange, but mm. for Roy Butler in Barwon and Helen Dalton in Murray to be re-elected was significant. Mm -hmm. Urban independents are rare. I mean, Clover Moore spent more than two decades in state parliament. She never got a she only once got a primary vote above 40%. So it's, it's really tough for independents to get elected in the city because they need to know who you are because no independent's getting elected because they've got the label independent next to them. So it, it didn't surprise me that they that not many of them got up. Yes, Catherine Cusack very much pointing out, we started in the regions with the independents mm. and uh, that's where they are still very powerful. Uh, we did get an agreement between Joe McGurr, Alex Greenwich and Greg Piper on confidence and supply with Chris Minns, the incoming Premier. Here's what he had to say about that with me. Ron Honig, who runs our government affairs, if you like, on the floor of the Legislative Assembly, has been speaking to all the crossbenchers for, uh, I guess, right through the last parliament and into the election campaign. And we've spoken to Alex, Joe and Greg in the last 24 hours. We're grateful for it. And it means that we can get on with the job, get the briefings, understand what's happening in the key departments, health, education, transport, and make sure that the people in New South Wales know that there's a government ready to do the job. So they've guaranteed you confidence and supply. What have you given them? Nothing. Nothing? No. So they've just agreed to you to have that stability? I think that's right. That was certainly the message from Alex and Greg, who I spoke to yesterday afternoon. They said Labor had... I don't want to put words in their mouth, Sarah. This is important. Sure. Obviously, they can speak to their own decision-making, but their co communication with me was that it was important that the government have confidence and supply, be able to get on with the job, get the briefings, get their feet under the table. There's Chris Minns. Yeah, and going into the election, it was quite clear from Alex Greenwich, Greg Piper and Joe McGurr that they were always going to look at who got closer if it ended up being hung parliament, that they would look at who got the closest and they wanted their their priority was stability of government. Now, yes, they will give supply, but that doesn't mean that they're going to agree and, and vote with them on, on everything. everything. And and there are still some some issues there, especially around gambling reform and what they do with that legislation. So, yes, Chris Minns can say he's given them nothing and, yes, he's given them nothing for support and it means that, you know, the significant bills on into terms with the budget and those things will go through and then they won't be disruptive and try and tear down this government. But it doesn't mean that it's all going to be happy and Labor gets whatever they want. Yeah, the, that's standard. I mean, in 
Victoria, in the Bailieu and Napthine government from 2010 to 2014, there was no independence elected, but one Liberal MP resigned and created havoc for nearly a year because the government couldn't control the chamber. They couldn't get on with normal business. So this is why these deals are, you know, the government can get on with business. The, the crossbench can vote against it, but they're not going to be sort of hanging around with votes and no confidence all the time. Yeah, you know? so this is an expanded crossbench, though. Do you think this is just going to be a ongoing feature of Australian politics, more independence, less major parties? Because the Labor Party didn't have a huge vote, Anthony Green. It's been declining for years. Yes. Um, and there, it is an ongoing feature. We do not have the same two-party preferred system we used to have. We have an increased number of electorates which are not two-party contests, so it will continue to be like that. Let's talk about the upper house as as they still uh, count for both houses of parliament. What um, is going to, I suppose, possibly be the look of the upper house in New South Wales? I, have, I, haven't, I haven't added up the two halves <laughs> to, to be absolutely certain. But well, we've got some new faces. Yes. We've got the legalised cannabis party. Yes. You, you predicted they'd get a seat. Yes. They did. Um, we've got, is it Robert Borsak from the Shooters? Yes, yeah, Shooters were re-elected. Um, John Ruddick from the Liberal Democrats has a strong chance of election. Uh, the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers should be re-elected there. Um, there'll be eight Labor and six Coalition and it might be the two Greens, and the likelihood is the last seat might be a battle between the seventh coalition candidate and uh, animal justice. But the count's at about 40%, so there's a lot more counting to come. So animal justice may be diminished in the upper house because they, they have one in there who's, who's halfway through the term, Emma Hurst, and, and they, haven't, they look like they won't get it, but mm. almost been replaced with the legalised cannabis mm. Party, which is Jeremy Buckingham. He's been a Greens MP who spectacularly quit uh, uh, before the the last election. Quit the party. Now he's he's come back. So he's a, a figure that's that's known. But you've got then One Nation. Well, Mark right. Latham, but they look like they only are going to get one. Yeah. Yes, and it's interesting. Latham, Ruddick, and Jeremy Buckingham are all ex-members of other parties in the parliament. They may have. <laughs> they all have access to crime. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so there's going to be some interesting yeah. personalities in there, isn't there, yeah, Ash it, it, it could be quite interesting. And there's this block with the with the the Liberal Democrats, uh, the Shooters maintaining their spot in there. One Nation now has three in there. So Labor could be facing almost quite an obstructive upper house at points and, and how they're going to negotiate that is going to be quite interesting. That was put to, to Daniel Mookie uh, after after the win. He said, look, there's, because he, he is in the upper house and he said, look, it has a has an interesting culture and, and he sees it and they'll, they'll be able to work through it. But I, I think it is going to be a challenge for them. Yes, because I mean, it's interesting. Politics does come down to personalities that we don't see, I think, as the, as the electorate. And you've certainly got some strong personalities in there, don't you? Yeah, the, I mean, people like Mark Latham and co, um, some of the crossbenchers do a lot of work and a lot of the work of the Legislative Council is done with committees. It's committees that keep government to account very often rather than legislation. Uh, and, and thank goodness the crossbenchers are there because there is a few time servers that get up for the major parties. Yeah. So, let me say that. <laughs> Absolutely. They push legislation to committee and, and there's been so many, it's a very boring sort of technical thing that happens in the upper house but the call for papers but you they call for papers to to reveal things uh documents that the government normally holds secrets and that has unveiled a number of things including all the stuff around the John Barilaro controversial trade appointment that only came from labor for a call to papers so the upper house does some 
some some incredible things in terms of you know it is the house of review and around integrity of government and that's what we saw in, in the last parliament with the parliamentary inquiries and those calls to paper and and you would expect that would continue let's talk about what went wrong for uh the coalition i kind of feel that dominic perrottet took responsibility on saturday night but he was doing this he sort of had one leg being held back by his own party in the factional infighting they were sort of holding on to one ankle while he was trying to stride forward on this he had the past of what had gone on with john barillaro the uh icac reports still not come out into gladys berejiklian and and it, it was sort of very hard for him. He was almost running on his own, 12 retirements on his own team. They'd, they'd been in office for 12 years. Three terms in government is, you know, and, and the last two... So you get into the whole minutiae, Anthony Green, but really, do you think most of the electorate just goes, yeah, time to give the other guys a go? Or the girls? cost of living is expensive at the moment. It's just it's just time and it's it's issues of what's in your pocket. And this had yeah. been... Uh, there'd been a number of issues over the past 12 months and when you add them all together, and it wasn't helpful during the campaign, you know, the Premier, Dominic Perrottet, had his brother, you know, missing and they were dragged into a parliamentary inquiry. There was factional infighting. And and then even in the last week, there was that leak about him making the call when his wife needed an ambulance to, to Brad Hazard instead of Triple O. Now, they were very divided. Like, people were very angry that the media reported that um, in some sense. And then others were like, well, this goes to the question of was he seeking special treatment? Dominic Perrottet said he wasn't. But really what happened with that was that happened a number of days out from the election and it did rattle Dominic Perrottet. He, he expended a lot of energy on it. It also involved his wife. He was upset by it and it knocked him off his game just a bit. There were also a huge group of undecided voters in this election. They started tuning in at that time. And I feel that Dominic Perrottet didn't really get his momentum back after that, just because it was this unwelcome distraction for him. And and the Liberals didn't have a good last week of the mm. campaign or the week they, they would have wanted. Everything had to go right for the government to win a fourth term. And it didn't. And it didn't. So, yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, the vote and the number of seats they've held has gone down at every at three elections since they won office in 2011, which is a pretty normal pattern. Um, people are just, you know, I always say that sometimes people will vote for a new government just for a different set of faces making this, making the excuses. And, and I think, look, it, it's a government that can walk away. I, I get the sense from Liberals that they felt they've had a good term in office. They've left a legacy. They've lost. It's sad they didn't. They'd rather have won but they don't feel devastated. <laughs> That's Meanwhile, the they have get, to yeah. come up with a new leader and it does seem that many don't want the job. Uh, here is Malcolm Turnbull with me talking about the Liberal brand after the New South Wales election. The biggest factor was its time. You know, 12 years is a long time. I think it's been a very good government. Uh, it's been a, a, actually a progressive government, uh, but there is no doubt that the brand is suffering and it is seen by... Many people, many younger people, and I say younger, I mean sort of people under 50, and by women more so than men as not representing them any longer. And that, of course, was why you had the big teal, you know, success at the federal election. Where does the opposition that they are now go from here in terms of picking a leader in the direction that they go in? I, I, I think the biggest problem they're going to face is internal disharmony, not so much in the parliamentary party. But we've seen in Western Australia, in South Australia in, in, and in Victoria, the party in opposition has just turned on itself and they've just had, you know, the last Western Australian Victorian elections, they were picking terrible candidates um, because of the way the, these internal warfares are going on within the party. 
And that's what the New South Wales Party's got to avoid doing, falling into the, the pattern that Victoria's stuck in. And I'm not sure that they will, seeing that yeah. the factional infighting was pretty obvious was, even yeah. when they were in, in, in government. But they're in government, though, and that, there's, that always keeps a bit of a Gosh, if that's what, what I'm saying. saying. Yeah. So yeah. Now, now. Now, now the lid is off, and, and I think that there is going to be this, this moderate versus right, and, and even looking at, at a leader, there's, two, there's three names that are, are being put forward. One is Anthony Roberts, who's powerful in the right faction, Alistair Henschkins, who's also from the right, and Mark Speakman, who's from the moderate faction. But just talking to people over the past few days, there's very different conversations happening as to why they lost and the path forward for the Liberal Party. Some saying, this is not the party I recognise, we were too progressive with some policies, that's why we lost, we didn't talk to our base. I hate that word base because it's such an American, but that's sort of the sense um, from, from some within the party. So I think it looks like they're headed to potentially start tearing themselves apart as, as the fallout is felt. And it happened federally. And, and then they moved to the right federally. Will that happen here and too? Now it's, well, and now it's going to be worse in New South Wales because they lost their last, it's the second last state that, that was there. Tasmania is now the only Liberal government. So I think there was a sense as well that it was going to be terrible if they lost New South Wales as well because the party trying to, to pick up the pieces and work out what they want to be and how to move forward I think there's a feeling that it could get quite, quite, quite nasty. And there is some despairing within the party. If people look at federal politics, the big difference federally is Queensland. There's a whole block of nationals and LNP members, very conservative up there, a lot of conservative rural members federally from New South Wales as well, and that locks the the coalition to a a more conservative position. Whereas in New South Wales, they have to be more moderate or they just don't win in New South Wales. Remember, this is a state which has elected Labor for most of the last century. But Matt Keane, the major moderate, has said he's not going to stand and there's certainly a lot of anger towards him. So do you think they'll move more towards the right as they did federally, even though, as Anthony Green says, Ash, it may not work for them? The warning will be Victoria and look at the mess they're in down there. I don't know. But also... As you say, like, who wants to be, after you, you're booted from government, who wants to be... Who wants the job? Who wants the job? Because you're never really going to be Premier. Like, you're, you're sort of a seat warmer and you try and pick up the pieces and, 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 and serve the party. But but it's it's not great for your career prospects uh, to, to be opposition leader at this time. Mm. What about the coalition? How do you think they're going to re, uh, I suppose, fix that marriage given what's happened between the Liberals and the National Party too? I think the Liberals and Nationals get on pretty well. The coalition's never broken down in New South Wales. It has February a couple of times. So I think they'll continue to work, yeah, work well th- together. I think it'll be okay. They've had a row of a Port Macquarie, but that's They've it. They've had yeah. a bit of a row there, haven't they? Well, some wounded, broken hearts to heal in uh, New South Wales coalition. And that's it for Matters of State for this election. Thank you, Anthony Green. Thanks. Thank you so much, Ash. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.